Thank you, Dan and choir, Rachel and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. Turn your Bibles to the Shema, Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We had finished a sermon series from the Gospel of John, and next Sunday we start a sermon series from the Minor Prophet Book of Amos. And today we speak about the best gifts for our children. Reader's Digest hosts a regular feature called Finish This Sentence. In 2016, they put out this sentence. If I could go back in time and study anything, it would be. If I could go back in time and study anything, it would be. Responses pour in from across America and really across the world. And someone wrote in, finished the sentence, if I could study anything, go back in time and study anything, it would be British history. Someone else said Southern cuisine. Someone else said Benjamin Franklin. I'd love to hang with that incredible man, quote, unquote. But the response that was a winner came from a lady in Maine who wrote, if I could go back and study in time and study anything, it would be my mom, her thoughts, and what was in her beautiful heart. The woman had a, a keen insight from mom so we could deepen our special relationship there. When it comes to Mother's Day, one of the questions always is gifts. And I hate to tell you, but survey results show that 40% of moms fake their response to their Mother's Day gift. So when you get that, oh, I love it, or man, I needed one of those, meh, 60% chance she did, and 40% chance she's just trying not to hurt your feelings today. See if you can tell the difference. Our children grow up so fast, don't they? All of a sudden, you look over and you don't have a baby anymore. Sunday evening after most of our folks had left evening worship, I, the staff was standing in the hallway and I was speaking with our associate pastor, Trevor Brown. Hannah was there. And as we were talking, a little girl just darted behind Trevor, ran across. And I thought, now, I, I wonder whose little girl that is. I, I had one eye at the corner of my eye and Trevor saw my, who was that look? And he said, that's Kendall, that's his little baby. Well, she's not supposed to dart and run. She's supposed to be a baby, and she's running down the hallway as if she owns it already. It happens so fast, doesn't it? This morning, I, I want to speak about the best gifts we can give our children. I bet you've had a similar Christmas experience. You brightly hung some wrapping paper or crumbled all over the room. The bows are strewn here and there. The toys that elicited shrieks and the thrill and shouts of joy two hours earlier are abandoned on the Christmas battle scene. The children are nowhere in sight, and somebody asks, where are they? Where are the children going? Mom and dad are tired from staying up all night and getting the gifts gathered together. And you realize the children are out in the backyard playing with the boxes which the expensive gifts came in because that seems to be more interesting than that gadget that took you all night to put together. So we've all been there, haven't we? Spending more money on a gift that kids neither enjoy or appreciate. 
But are there some gifts that we could give our children that would always be the right size and always be the right color? Is there anything we can give them that unlike that remote control car that's already gone kaput, is there anything we could give them that would last forever? Well, the first gifts, moms and dads, we can give our children is unconditional love. To love our children and grandchildren with a no matter what kind of love. A love that doesn't say, I love you if, but simply, I love you. We're all reminded of Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. There's a, a father who has two sons, and one of those sons cares about the father's future while the other one wants to spend his portion of the inheritance on wine, women, and song. One is morally rigorous, and the other is a moral slackard. And, well, at the end of the story, we learn in verse 20 of Luke 15 that the father every day has looked for the silhouette of his son, not the obedient son, but the wayward son, and when he sees his son coming home, he runs, he hugs, he embraces. He says, put some shoes on my boy's feet, put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger. He once was lost, but now he's found. And the obedient son says, well, that's funny. Dad never threw a party for me. That story is about a God who loves us without condition. A God who loves us without an if. God loves us, period. In fact, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do this morning to make God love you less. He might be disappointed in your disobedience, but his love is absolutely steadfast. You know what the Apostle Paul tells us about God's love? But God demonstrates his love for us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. God loves us even while we're still sinners. There is no place that we could go this morning beyond God's love. Mother, how are you loving your children? Father, how are you loving your children? There's some of us today with adult children, we have to love them no matter what. You can be disappointed. You can set them free, but you must love him. You must love her as God loves you with a no matter what kind of love. By our actions and our words, we write memories on the hearts of our children with indelible ink. What are you writing? I hope you're writing, I love you, period. And only as I love my children unconditionally, and only as you love your children unconditionally, will they understand a God who can love them unconditionally. Well, there's a, another gift. Give your children the gift of your time. Give the children your gift of your time. Social scientist John Dufresne and Nick Stinnett asked 1,500 children, what do you think makes a family happy? The number one answer from elementary school children, what makes a family happy is doing things together. Doing things together. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. You and I need to ask ourselves this morning, how will we evaluate the use of our time 10 years from now, 20 years from now? 
I've been in a lot of deathbeds, and I can tell you, in 30 years of being there, I never had anyone look up and say, Pastor, I work 67 hours a week. I wished I'd work 72. No one has ever said that. I have never had anyone say, you know, I wished I'd clean my windows more often. You know, here I am on my deathbed, and I realize that I was remiss in, in cleaning the windows. No. But they have said, I wished I'd understood how precious time with my children was. I wished I'd played their games, dreamed their dreams, thought their thoughts, entered their world together. How about it, sport? But when they ask us, you want to play tag? Well, how about tomorrow? But the reality is you don't realize that tomorrow they'll be asking for car keys. Little Kendall ran down the hallway. She's supposed to be a baby, and it'll be a blink, and she'll say to Trevor, where's the car keys? I need to go on a drive. Frederick Beekner wrote, as the children started leaving home for lives of their own, they left their empty rooms behind. So the emptiness was another thing of which our home became full. Beds rarely slept in anymore. Closet doors rarely opened. Any fool knows that when you have children, your whole life changes. But I was the fool who never realized the extent to which when you have your children no longer, your life changes again and almost more radically. But I was a fool who never realized the extent to which when you have your children no longer, your life changes again and almost more radically than when your children are born. Here's another gift we can give our children, the gift of listening. We don't listen very well, do we? All of us want to be heard. Our children want to be heard. They want to know they have both the ear and the heart of their mom and their dad. When our oldest daughter, Ryan, was little and she wanted to talk to me, she would take both of her hands and put them on my face and jerk my head around and, and make me look at her eye to eye while we spoke. And I know she was getting this habit of smushing my cheeks together and wrenching my head around to look at her eye to eye. And I said, Ryan, why do you put your hands on daddy's face and pull his head around when you want to talk to me? And she says, because daddy, you don't listen when you don't look at me. I would still argue that I was listening, but it didn't seem to her as if I was listening. She wanted her father's attention. Our children want to be heard so they know that they have our hearts as well as our ears. It's amazing how poorly we really listen, isn't it? I mean, we listen so terribly poorly. Hugh Downs, the famed broadcaster, tells the story about when he was in radio. There was a, a colleague in the business that was way ahead, sort of a, a mentor for him. And, well, his mentor was interviewing a man who had escaped from a Russian prison, from a Kremlin prison. 
The man told how it took him months to tunnel out of the prison, how he literally had to eat the dirt that he dug out so it wouldn't be discovered. And that finally, when he realized he was past the prison walls, he started going up vertical. And at midnight one night, it was a night he planned to emerge from the tunnel and escape from uh, the Kremlin prison, and he says, when I poked my head up through the boards and I tore the board, boards apart, I realized I was in Joseph Stalin's office. <laughs> and the interviewer said, ah, oh, well, do you have any hobbies? He wasn't listening. <laughs> Hugh Downs said, right there, I determined, if I asked somebody a question, I'd better listen. I'd look like a fool. Do you have any hobbies? The guy just broke into Joseph Stalin's office. Would you talk to your children? Do you really, really listen? You know, in reality, I don't think as a culture our listening skills are getting better. I think they're getting worse. In fact, the whole time we're talking to somebody, they're doing what? This, aren't they? They're, and they, they kind of make noises or agree or say yes, but they have no idea what we're saying. You ever been on a telephone conversation with someone and you realize at the end that they weren't really present for you? They were pretending to be present for you because they asked you something about what you just spoke? You had that happen. They were checking their email the whole time or something or texting while they were talking to you. Moms and dads, give your children your undivided ear. Give them the gift of listening. Fourth, give your children the gift of discipline. Unfortunately, many children do not hear very much from their parents about how to live. They receive messages from this world. Wise parents will not let the world tell their kids what to do. Wise parents will not be silent. There's an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. 12,000 students, ages 7 to 12, were studied. And the bottom line conclusion of the PhDs and the MDs was this. After this largest study ever held of American adolescents, the conclusion was this. If parents expect their teenagers to get good grades, to refra refrain from sex... Those expectations will influence the adolescent's decisions regardless of family income, double parenting or single parenting, regardless of race. The results was the same. High expectations and discipline coming from the parents made a real difference in the life of the children. How about you this morning, Mom? How about you this morning, Dad? Are you giving your children a moral compass by which to decide to live life? A day is going to come when she or he is going to be off on his or her own journey, and they're going to need some idea about what they should or should not be doing and what will destroy their life and what will build their life. Are you giving your children discipline? Are you giving them a moral compass. The art of parenting is the art of knowing when to discipline our children and when to give our children grace, the gift of grace. There are times in Scripture when God both disciplines 
in times when God gives grace. Well, the next gift is give your children the gift of grace. One of my very best friends, when his son was in elementary school, his son kept doing a behavior that the dad said, you have to stop that or you're going to get a spanking. And despite warning after warning, we got to the point where the behavior was acknowledged as wrong, the consequences were clear, and, well, the boy did it again. Whatever it was, he did it again. Just bold-faced did it again. And his dad went to pick him up from the place of offense to take him back to the house of correction. That's the best way I know to describe it. And he went to pick his son up, and he had him in a car, and the son was just wailing and crying and screaming. He knew what was coming. He knew that he wasn't supposed to do it. He knew that he had done it anyway. The consequences had been made clear, and my friend said, it got, it, it, the thought came to my mind, I need to teach him about grace. The little boy's name is Hunter. He said, I need to teach him about grace. And so driving along, the little boy screaming and crying in the back, wailing, just sobbing. He said, Hunter, I want you to understand grace because someday you're going to give somebody else grace. Grace means I'm going to act like you didn't even do what you did. And it, I, I hope that you're going to learn from that and you're going to take my grace and not make light of my grace and you will appreciate the gift of grace I'm giving you and, and someday you'll give somebody else grace. But I want you to understand what it means to receive grace. And we receive God's grace. And I'm going to give you grace today. And well... The father kept driving down the road, but the kid just started screaming louder and louder and louder. And he said, Hunter, I told you I wasn't going to spank you. I was going to give you grace. I thought you understood. Why are you crying? And he said, I'm just so happy about grace. That's why I'm crying. <laughs> I'm just so happy about grace too. God's grace. Are you? Give your children the gift of grace. Finally, give your children your faith. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have the Shema. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have the Ten Commandments. And here in chapter 6, we have the Shema, which was representative of the essence of the commandments. It was a responsibility of the parents to educate the children to educate the grandchildren. So the covenant between God and ancient Israel would never be forgotten. Look at verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. When we're observing the Passover, when the children ask the question, because we observe the Passover, they're going to ask questions, why we do this and why we do that. That is your opportunity to explain to them the traditions of the faith and thus explain to them the covenant. You know, our children do ask about our religious traditions, do they not? I, when Jordan, my middle child, 
was three years of age on a Sunday night for whatever reason. Lisa decided to bring her into the sanctuary, and she came to the sanctuary and sat up there in the balcony with her mother, and all of a sudden her daddy walked out in a black robe like he did this morning. She didn't even know there was a swimming pool back there. That seemed odd to her. And if that wasn't shocking enough at three years of age that your dad's standing in a swimming pool of water with people staring at him, I took a little boy and I plunged him under the water and then I yanked him up. And then another little boy came in and I took him and I plunged him under the water and I yanked him up. And she'd never heard about baptism, never seen a baptism. She was three years of age and we were walking out on Sunday night and she said, what were you doing? What were you doing taking those little boys and sticking them under the water and yanking them up? What were you doing? Ah, Jordan, like Jesus went into the tomb, we die with him. And like on Easter morning, the tomb was empty, we rise with him. Our children will ask questions. We must give our children our faith, the greatest gift of all. During the Passover meal, the ancient Israelites, the children asked something like this, why are we eating bitter herbs? This doesn't taste good. Mama, why? Daddy, we're eating bitter herbs. Why? Because our forefathers were in Egypt and they had the pain of Pharaoh upon their back. It was a bitter time for them in slavery. And we eat bitter herbs to remember that our forebears had pain. And why are we eating with our shoes on? And why do we eat in such a hurry? And, and why do we eat with our robes tied up high? Oh, because when the death angel came and passed over the people of God, they had to be ready to go. The exodus, they had to have on their shoes and have their robes. They had to eat in a hurry because they didn't know when God was going to come to deliver them. When our children ask the question of faith, we must be able to answer. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is your ultimate goal for your son or for your daughters? At the end of the day, when the parenting task is over, how will you know if you've arrived at the destination to which you saw? What is that destination point for your son or the ultimate goal for your daughter? Unfortunately, in Western culture in America today, I, I think if we look at our behavior, if we look at our expenditures, and look at the way we arrange our lives, I would say the ultimate goal of most American parents is to produce a professional athlete. That's really, that's really what we do. Let's just be honest. Or our ultimate goal for our children is that they would be rich or that they would be famous. But what if we really, not just lip service, what if the ultimate goal for our children that we have for them was that she would be, that he would be a dedicated follower of Jesus? And how would that substitute for our goal to pr produce professional athletes or rich children? How would we feel at the end of the day if she was a devoted follower of Jesus? Eventually, the violin will gather dust and the cleats will hang in the basement. We must not miss the most important goal of all. You might think that I'm exaggerating, but our behaviors really don't testify that being like Jesus is the ultimate goal for our children. 
Let's suppose that your child is taking Algebra 1, which is a very important transition class into higher thinking. It kind of changes the math world for you, doesn't it, when you enter Algebra 1? Let's say the class is five days a week, and can you imagine saying to your daughter, you know, I know you're in Algebra 1, I know that's challenging, I know it's really important for your future, but if you'll go twice a week to the class and we'll get somebody else's notes, we'll catch up, it doesn't matter, you'd say, oh my goodness, I would never let my daughter get behind in Algebra 1. She needs to be there every day. She needs to be there for the after-school sessions. She needs to study. She needs to be on it. Or if your son's on the football team, can you imagine saying to the coach, Oh, you know, Tom is really bright, and, and Tommy, we'll, he'll come to practice when we can. When we can, we'll work it in when we can. We'll learn the plays, and we'll just work it out. Let's don't make a big deal out of this. We'll be here when we can. Well, that would never work, would it? But the same parents who would allow their, never allow their daughter to go to every other algebra class or every third football practice bring their children to the house of faith every other Sunday and expect them to get it. And they won't. We have imagined somehow that because our moms and our dads brought us to church and were faithful in training us in the matters of faith, we have come to the understanding that somehow our children are just going to, by osmosis, receive our faith, and they will not. It has to be her journey or his journey, and they must be here in the regular rhythm of worship. Max Lucado wrote, and I could have said the same thing, and my home church was never a choice. It was as natural and as rhythmic as getting up for Monday morning in elementary school. You know, I never remember growing up, waking up on Monday and asking, am I going to go to school today? I knew because it was Monday I was going to school. But likewise, to my parents' benefit, my mom's benefit, I can say, I never got up and asked on a Sunday, was I going to church? Never crossed my mind. You see, worship is a weekly rhythm. On the seventh day, God rested. He worked for six days. On the seventh day, he rested. This is his day. Oh, ancient Israel, hear the Shema. This is the day of the Lord. I've got a little Norfolk pine in my office. I'm so proud of it. You know the smallest ones you could ever buy? I bought it at like Walmart for a, 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 a pastor's pals illustration. I've had that thing five years now, and it's like this big, that little Norfolk pine. And uh, every Sunday I walk in and I pour a glass of water in it. That's all I do. And I, forget, and I walk away. I don't pay any attention all week long, but every Sunday it gets a cup of water now, what if I miss a Sunday? How many Sundays could I miss nourishing that little pine with water? And all of a sudden, I'm going to walk in there, and it's going to look different and be different and be sick because it was not given the water that it needed. For that little pine tree in the pastor's office, it is the weekly rhythm of watering. For your children's souls, it is Easter every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, we celebrate the empty tomb. Give your children the right gifts. Give them the gift of unconditional love. I love you no matter what. 
Give them the gift of your time and give them that time right now. Give your children the gift of listening. Put the phone down. Look him in the eye and listen. Give your children the gift of discipline. Let them know this is right and this is wrong. Give your children the gift of grace, for you too want the Father's grace. And give your children the gift of your faith. So when they ask, why do we do this? Why do we do that? You can tell him or tell her the wonderful story of God's love and God's redemption. Give your children the gifts that last beyond a lifetime. Let us pray. Oh, God, thank you for being the Heavenly Father that gives all the right gifts. You give us your unconditional love. You give us your time, your attention. You give us faith. Even our own faith is your act in our lives. Father, I pray this morning if there's someone, this would be his day or her day to come and call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior that even today he or she would come. Maybe there are others who are called to be a part of this great church family. I pray they would come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.